Yeah, I got it. Good morning. Sorry, I'm a little out of breath. I just ran over here and realized what time it was, and uh, I realized I've got no business running sometimes. Um, so glad to be here this morning with y'all, worshiping our Lord and Savior. A um, couple of announcements. If you're a visitor with us, there are cards in the back of the pew, or there should be cards in the back of the pew. We would love for you to fill those out so we can just have a record of who's visiting with us, um, to just have that information. The children's Christmas program will be December the 12th at 6.30. Practice and dress rehearsal will be December the 8th at 5.45 to 7 o'clock. So if you are a child or if you have a child that wants to be in the program, December the 8th at 5.45, we will practice. Um, November business meeting will be tonight at 6.30. Um, if you are a member of this church, it is a right and a privilege and a responsibility of every church member to participate in the meeting Please make an effort to attend. That's even our newly baptized individuals. Um, Lord's Supper service and Thanksgiving meal on November 21st. We will share in the uh, Lord's Supper in the morning worship service. After the service, we will have our church-wide Thanksgiving meal in the fellowship hall. And lastly, um, we need Advent readers. Um, this begins on November 28th, so if you're interested in reading a short Advent devotional reading, please see Brother Shannon. Any other announcements? All right, thank you very much. The Central Kid silent auction is canceled. Yes, and that's right here in front of me. It had a big X across it, so I thought I wasn't supposed to announce. Yeah, the Century Kid silent auction. Um, at this moment has been canceled. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Wow, you guys are a long way away. It's sure good to see you this morning. We have another opportunity uh, to, to have a baptism in our church, uh, and, and we're not done yet. We have a number of other baptisms we're going to do. So by the time we get done, we're going to be well-versed in what baptism means as Baptists. Uh, there's nothing about this water that saves. A person is already saved by the time they come to the baptismal waters. In fact, our church will not baptize a person unless they are born again. This morning, we're baptizing Maria Perry. And, and as we were uh, talking together about baptism, I asked her, I put her on the spot. I said, have you been born again? And she said, yes. And so we only baptize born-again believers. Uh, what, what baptism pictures is a person's identification with Christ. Uh, in Romans, um, Paul says we're buried with him by baptism into death. That means we identify with Christ in his death. We are in him, and so when he dies, we die. And that means that our sins, the penalty for our sins, were paid by Christ in his death. So his death became our death. And then we are raised to walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus was resurrected from the grave on the third day, and he walked in newness of life, death did not have the final word. Uh, Maria, when she's raised up out of the water, it will symbolize, it will picture um, her being raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. And she's been born again. Baptism, because it uses water also, uh, gives the picture of being uh, washed clean of sin and transgression. And then also it pictures a person dying to self. Jesus says, uh, if any man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so it's like Maria is, in some sense, and all baptized people are, dead people walking because we have died to ourselves and we have been raised with Christ and we choose to follow him. Um, and... Uh, that's what baptism means for us. Only a, a, a born-again believer can come and, and be baptized in our church. So this morning we baptized Maria Perry. So Maria. 
still don't have a heater. So pray for everybody getting baptized. All right. Uh, Maria, have you repented of your sin? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? And do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? And on profession of your faith of Jesus Christ and Savior as Savior and Lord, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried with him by baptism into death. Raised to walk in newness of life. All right, let's, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Maria's commitment to you for this public step of obedience that she has told the, the world through her baptism that Jesus Christ has saved her, uh, that he has purchased her, that she now belongs to him, and that she willingly, voluntarily, joyfully submits to his lordship and chooses to follow him all the days of her life. We pray, God, that this day would be a high-water day for her, uh, that she would remember that on that on this day, she put her faith in, she, she showed the world, she told the world that Jesus is her Lord. And that she can look back and say, oh, what Christ has done in the days since my baptism. Father, help us to love her well as a church and to help her to grow in her faith. We pray all of this in Christ's name. saved um, we talked last week about perseverance and my wife and I were having this conversation on the way to church this morning that a lot of times we think that what we do is what makes us right but it's what Jesus did that made us right and because of what he did and because when we repent we find his love that brings joy and that joy brings repentance so we don't need to spend our whole lives trying to white-knuckle our faith and be the person that Jesus Christ wants us to be. 
We need to spend our life knowing that he loves us and repenting when we sin so that in that we find joy. And then the next time the temptation comes, we find Jesus far more pleasurable than that sin ever was. And then one day we will stand before God and we won't be thinking about what we shouldn't do. All we'll be thinking about is his greatness and his majesty. And that's the joy of heaven is we'll be in the presence of God as he is forever. There we go. This morning we are dedicating our Christmas boxes. And so uh, Tuesday night, um, the, the WOW, the Women of the Word, had their get-together. Y'all packed 73? 73 boxes. That's awesome. I know there's more boxes than what y'all packed. Um, we normally do ours online because we kind of get busy. And, and by the way, you can do that. And if you're visiting with us online, you, you know that you can go to our bulletin online. Um, and there's a link there in our online bulletin where you can actually go and do an online box. But we're going to dedicate these boxes this morning. So we're going to have our kids go ahead and go out and help us. And the youth are going to help make sure we stack here. Just make sure that we have space here. So kiddos, all of you can go help. All of you can go help. Now, while this is taking place, I know there's going to be a lot going on and a lot of cuteness. A whole bunch of cuteness. But we are going to watch a video. Look up here. <laughs> so much cuteness going out the back door and coming in and out. Um, one of the things that we need to be reminded of every year when we collect these boxes and pray over them is that it's more than a box of toys. Uh, the desire is that whoever receives this Comes, becomes a Christian, that they are born again, they repent, they put their faith in Christ, and walk with Him all their days. Um, and so that is what we long to see happen. And so this video is going to remind us of a discipleship program that's a part of receiving a box. If a kid wants to have uh, that opportunity to grow, to learn about Christ, they can do that. And so 
Um, I don't know if the, the Mac is unmuted, um, but if you'll play that video, it might be a little loud. I forgot to adjust the volume. The heart of Operation Christmas Child is bringing God's love to children in East Africa in a very tangible way and sharing that love to the local church to make Christ real to these children. In a shoebox, I see a gospel opportunity to reach out to a child, to share the love of Christ. children receive the box, they get to go through a 12-lesson discipleship course. And these children get to share their faith with one child who shares with another and are committing their lives to Christ. The child is like a seed. Once you invest in that seed, there's a lot more that you can. There's a saying here that you can't, you can't tell the number of seeds in a purple, but you can't tell the number of purples in the seed. So this child, once invested in, there's a lot of fruits and there's a lot of potential for the gospel to be spread. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. My name is Daniela. I live in Uganda, Kampala. And one day, I received a shoebox. Um, my favorite thing that I received in the shoebox was the necklace kit. There are a lot of exciting things inside the box. I think it's good to receive the shoeboxes because, like, these people who are packing the shoeboxes, they do this because they love baby the kids and also, like, they want them to, like, to have Jesus in their hearts. After I received my shoebox, I started the greatest journey. Through the years, we've been working with her and training her on using the greatest journey and other materials that we use in the discipleship courses. The reason I started the greatest journey was um, I felt happy for the two books that they gave me. We were happy, all of us. So, yeah, it was very good, actually. It was encouraging. We learned how God created us, why he created us. We learned how to help each other. You shall love the Lord your God. To know that. You're passing on what you've learned to another person, not just keeping the knowledge in, for yourself. You feel love. You feel like, you know what, I'm at home. I'm at home and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now. Yeah, it improved the way I live and the way that I'm connected to my God. So like, now I know that I belong to God, I belong to Jesus, and that all my life is His. The Grace's journey is the real deal because it gets to train and disciple the children that have received the shoeboxes on how to live, on how to love God, and also to become disciples. The discipleship ministry has helped us to explode into our communities, to reach out to those who we had, would never imagine we reached out to. It has made them ministers of the word in their communities, in their schools, in their homes. So the greatest journey moves the child from that excitement, not to end there, but even to learn more and more and more of what God can do in their lives. There are millions of children in Uganda yet to receive a gift box. So we're looking forward to having God offer that opportunity to those children. are up here, but there's a bunch. You know, I, I, we Baptists, we're, we're a little shy on how much we rejoice in a, in a worship service. We sit there kind of calm and reserved. I think this is a good time to, to clap and give a praise offering to the Lord for what we see here. All right, if you will join with me in prayer. We want to uh, think about who these boxers are going to, who's going to carry them, where they go, 
And uh, we trust in God's sovereignty that um, a, a cardboard box with a rubber band around it filled with little things we get at dollar store or wherever can change a life. And so will you join me in prayer? Father, we are indeed grateful to play a small part, a small part in your story. So many people doing so many things around the world, but you put on the heart of Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas Child. And there's no telling how many lives have been affected by it. And year after year, this is my seventh year here, Lord, seventh, uh, maybe my eighth Christmas here. And to see these boxes come in time after time after time, people believing in your sovereignty that, that you can take a box and you can take faithful Christians who are going to take that box around the world and deliver it to a young person. They're going to open it. and They're going to know that someone, they don't know where, where that person's from, they're going to know that someone cared enough about them that they might receive this little bit of joy. But we pray, God, that that little bit of joy might overflow into unending joy. That they would come to know Jesus Christ. That they would be born again. That they would repent of their sin. That they would gladly and willingly choose to follow Him all of their days. That they would gladly and willingly spent, uh, give their lives, spend their lives, be spent for the kingdom and the mission Uh, that you have for all of your people that the world might know that there is a Savior His name is Jesus and He's a Savior He's a Savior for all who will call on His name and so we pray Lord for every box here that each and every person would call on the name of Christ and be saved we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said Amen. If you want to look at Psalms 11, we're going to read that this morning. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Yeah. 
great sinners we are. But oh God, what a great Savior you are. Prick our hearts this morning. Let the gospel change us forever. In your name I pray. If you would please take your copy of God's word, turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, title of this morning's sermon, the last sermon in this series on getting lost and getting saved. The title of it is Getting Saved, Future Glory, Future Glory. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, 
Uh, we'll have the Bible passage on the screen if you want to look at it in the Bible for yourself. Um, you find a hardback black one somewhere around you, page 124 in the back. And you'll be at Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 23 today. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Romans chapter 8, verses 18, <clears throat> excuse me, through verse 23. And this is God's Word. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and the hope that it presents to us, the promises that are there. No matter what we suffer in this world, there is a glory that is beyond all comparison. So the things that we encounter in this world, have they just don't hold a candle to what's to come. Lord, give us a hunger, a groaning in our spirit for your glory, knowing we're not home. Not home yet, but one day we will be. And we will enjoy forever with you in our future glory. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> As I said, we are on our final sermon from this 21 weeks of looking at what it means to be lost and what it means to be saved. And, and I, I, I trust it is... One of the things that I'm thankful for is, is that I get to study this, that I get to let it impact my life, that I get to let it well up in joy in my own life. And, and I hope and pray that that always overflows from the pulpit, that you might um, get excited about what I'm excited about. Uh, and I, I'm excited this morning that not about the end of the sermon series, but the topic. Um, we're talking about the glory that awaits us after... Jesus returns. Now that, that's, that's something to look forward to. Um, we can talk about all the things that God has done in, in, in salvation for us. We can talk about the fact that um, we persevere in sanctification and in perseverance in our faith. Uh, but there's something yet that we are leaning toward. Uh, we're, we're, we know we're not, we're not home yet. And it's not the, and salvation is not finished for us. And so this morning we turn our attention to this. Paul helps us kind of get a cosmic um, perspective about how sure our glorification is. And in Romans 8, 28 to 30, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now we look at this and we say, foreknown, called, predestined, justified, those all things for us are past tense, or those were done in the past. But glorified is a future thing, but Paul talks about it so certainly. He's so convinced of it that he talks about it in the past tense, as if God has already done what he's about to do in our lives. It's that certain. Why do I bring that up? Because the work that God began in His people, He will be faithful to finish. Jesus Christ will bring many sons to glory. And if you are in Him, you can rest assured that there is a future glory that awaits you that you just can't even wrap your mind around. Well, if we were to define what glorification means, 
Um, I, I trust that, again, you're thinking, why do we have to have these definitions? We need to clarify terms. We need to not assume that we know what terms are. We need to assume that we don't know that everyone in the room knows what these terms are. A great place for us to begin is our Baptist faith and message, the, the statement of faith uh, that our church adheres to. When you become a member of our church, you're going to get a Baptist faith and message. I'm going to hand that to you. And I'm going to say, this is what our church subscribes to in our belief. And in this, it says that glorification is the culmination of salvation. It's the ending. Uh, it's the goal of salvation. The culmination of salvation and the blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. So it, it, it's a goal, and then it's what that goal, what's after that goal. The goal is for God to, in Christ, culminate salvation through the return of Christ and our glorification. But then the, our glorification also has impact on through eternity. It's the blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. Now, I'm going to put a statement on the board, and I, and I want it to, to, to sort of uh, maybe dispel a little bit of uh, misunderstood belief. A lot of times people will think that glorification is what happens after we die. Glorification is not what happens after we die. Glorification is not life after death. It's life after Jesus returns. It's not life after death. It's life after Jesus returns. You see, when believers die, we pass into what is commonly known as or what is theologically known as the intermediate state. We would call it life after death. But this is not the culmination of a believer's salvation. It's not the blessed and abiding state of the redeemed, as the Baptist faith and message says. It is an intermediate state. It is not the final state. Glorification is not life after death. It is life after Jesus returns. Let's talk about life after death just for a moment. Life after death is also called the intermediate state, and we can characterize it in a number of ways. And the first way we can talk about it is that it is a place, a state of sinless perfection. A state of sinless perfection. We often think of salvation in this way. We put these terms, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And we talk about with justification, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we say I am being saved from the power of sin. And in glorification, we say I will be saved from the presence of sin. We will also be present with the Lord and His people. The Lord is holy. He will not allow anyone who is unholy, unclean, dead in their trespasses and sins, to be in His presence. So we must have sinless perfection in order to be present with the Lord. But we are present with the Lord and His people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.8, he says, We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So when a person dies, they pass on into that intermediate state. They didn't fall asleep. There are some that believe that. They don't fall asleep. They go and they are present with the Lord. Jesus told the thief on the cross, and the thief said, Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus said, Today, today you will be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and His people. All those who have passed on into the intermediate state are there. We will know who they are. I'm, I'm not... I have to confess, I don't totally know how, but we will. We know, we will know people there. But one thing about the life after death, the intermediate state, is that we'll still be pining for home. You know what it means to pine? Reagan's off at college, Sydney's about to go off at college, and you know when they're away, you know, there's nothing like sleeping in your own bed, having your mom's cooking, um, on and on and on. Uh, Joey's cooking. Okay. If we're going to be honest here, maybe Joey's cooking. You just pine for home. You, you, you know what home is like. And we know what, at least in, in some measure, we know what awaits us. Paul says in verse 23 of this morning's text, 
not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for, our, for adoption as sons. You hear the words groan, wait eagerly. See, believers who are presently with the Lord, we yet, they yet await a heavenly dwelling. And I mean that in two ways. A heavenly home for their souls, a glorified body, and they also are awaiting a heavenly home for those glorified bodies. And here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but we will all move in at the same time. We will all get our heavenly bodily dwelling in our heavenly dwelling with new heaven and it we will get all of that at the same time so interme- the intermediate state is a very desirable place for departed believers don't think that there's there's pining for something yet to come but don't think that they're in a place where they man I wish I could go back to earth it was a little more interesting than this no paul says we would rather be away from the body and at home with the lord Paul says in, in Philippians 1.23, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That's life after death. But life after Jesus returns, we call that glorification. And we can characterize or we can describe this glorification in a number of ways. First, new bodies. Amen. New bodies. Verse 23. Paul says, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, our souls have already been redeemed. God does not want us to have this bodiless existence. God, in His power and in His sovereignty, not only redeems our souls, He will redeem our bodies as well. We will have a glorified body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, What is sown is perishable. Talking about the resurrection of the dead. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised in A spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. As was the man of the dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood, this sinful fallen flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, Paul says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. We will have a new body that cannot sin, cannot die, can do nothing other than what our redeemed souls will it to do, which will be to glorify and enjoy God for the rest of our existence, which will never end. We can also say that life after Jesus returns, we will have, we will live in a new heavens and a new earth. Notice how Paul talks about, he personifies in verses 19 through 22, creation. He calls it the creation. He's talking about everything other than humans. And he personifies them like they have a personality. And so the creation, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God is not going to give us new bodies and put us back into a broken world. Isn't that good news? We'll be able, there will not be a broken, fallen, sinful world. There will be a glorious world. 
John, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, this is the future glory. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. We will receive new bodies. We will live in those physical bodies, the new heavens and the new earth. But then we could also say we will enjoy new living arrangements. What do I mean by that? Well, Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. I want you to listen how this describes uh, God. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down for the words are trustworthy and true. Can God live any place that is unholy? No, He cannot. Can He be around anything that is unholy? No, He cannot. So we will enjoy new bodies that will willingly, gladly serve God in a world that is holy, without sin, unbroken, and God will come and dwell on the earth with us. We will have a new living arrangement. Remember Adam and Eve? Kicked out of the garden, separated from God. You remember the tabernacle? There was a place called the Holy of Holies in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where the, the, the Lord chose to dwell with His people. But only certain people could go in there. And only after they had been through a cleansing ritual, doing things according to what God had told them. There won't be a need for that anymore. Because we have been clothed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. We will be with God. God will be with us. New living arrangements. And then finally, I think we can characterize it as a new relationship. Now Paul talks in verse 23 about adoption. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Now already we have been adopted as sons, but the adoption has not been made final yet we haven't been united with our father yet but one day that adoption will be finalized but the new relationship i'm talking about is that we will as christ's people one day change our facebook status there won't be facebook from fiance to wife from betrothed to married we are the bride of Christ. And on the day that Christ returns, there will be a wedding and a wedding supper. Paul, uh, John in, in Revelation 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true words of God. One day we will be with our groom. There will be a wedding and a wedding supper. We will have a new relationship. See, this is what life after Jesus returns holds this future glory for believers. Now notice how Paul talks about this glory. You see up there on the screen, that is a set of balance scales. You know, those were used, and I don't know that they're used much anymore. They may be used in places um, I'm just not aware. But you put a weight on one side, let's say 10 grams, and you can put 10 grams of flour on the other side. So 
when both of those are in balance, the word Paul uses is worth, axios. So you know if you put one gram or 10 grams of, of weight on one side and you put 10 grams of flour on the other, you've got 10 grams worth of flour. Paul says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth. In other words, you put the, the glory, the future glory that is ours, and put it on one side, and what, what's it going to do to that one side? The other side's going to go flying up, right? Paul says, the sufferings that, that may come our way in this world can't even budge the scale. Can't even move the balance one speck. It's not even worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For this light momentary affliction, listen to what it's doing. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I'm going to tell you, it's, Paul was someone who could say, I consider the sufferings of this world They don't even compare to the glory that's to come. Listen to him. Writing to his brothers and sisters in Corinth, Paul says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Paul says all of that can't even budge the scale. It's not even worth comparing our pain and suffering in this life are not purposeless a glory awaits us God is preparing us for that glory through our suffering and as we begin to to understand that glory that God is preparing us for then there's this groaning that takes place in our hearts, where we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, for the redemption of our bodies. It's a meaningful pain. You know, Paul in verse 22 talks about creation um, having uh, birth pains. Birth pains aren't a bad thing. They show that something good is coming. There's a glory that awaits us. In Colossians 1.27, Paul says, To them... God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In verse 23, he says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits, in an agricultural context back in, the, in, in this Near Eastern t- uh, day, it was expected, it was commanded in the Scripture. That when the harvest was received, that the very first portion of the harvest was taken to the tabernacle or the temple. It belonged to God. But then it also was a promise that there was more to come. You see, we have the first fruits of the Spirit in us. The first fruits of the glory that is to come already lives in us. Do you believe that? Do you you understand that? The first fruits of the glory that is to come, it already lives in us. We already have the down payment of the glory that is yet to come. We have that through the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is why we don't have to gin up this this groaning, this, this eager waiting. Because there's a glory in us. We have the down payment. There's the first fruits. And and, and we want more. God's preparing us for that glory. 
We often think, and I've, I mentioned this just a minute ago, we think of salvation as justification. Uh, I've been saved from the penalty of sin. We say sanctification, I'm being saved from the power of sin. And glorification, I will be saved from the presence of sin. But I wonder, do you think those definitions are a little too focused on sin? Follow with me. Imagine that we talked about pregnancy in this way. I got pregnant. My pregnancy is progressing. I am no longer pregnant. Wouldn't that sort of miss the boat about the focus? I think that would miss the boat. That would focus on the wrong thing. So let's think about salvation this way. That justification is, means that sin's penalty is paid in full and there is, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, a seed of glory implanted in me that is willing and able to glorify Christ and enjoy His glory. And in sanctification, sin's power has been and is being broken in me, enabling me to increasingly glorify Christ and enjoy and long for His glory. And in glorification, we could say, sin is no longer present with me. And now living in a glorified body, I am fully able to glorify Christ and enjoy His glory in the new heavens and the new earth. Perhaps we've thought about salvations. And we need to think about it in terms of sin. But we also need to think about we've been saved for something and to something. And if we will let that first fruits, if we will let it, if we will think about it, if we will long for glory, then then what can come into our lives that could move the scale? And the glory of God outpaces, outshines it all. Nothing can come into our lives. And I wonder, and I want you to to, to think about this for yourself. I wonder if we think so little about the future glory because there's so little groaning in our own lives. I mean, do you understand what what I mean there? John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Perhaps we don't groan like we should, because we aren't satisfied in God like we should be. So my challenge for us is this, that we would long to be satisfied in God. And in doing so, that seed of glory that He implanted in us through the indwelling Holy Spirit began to bloom and we'll begin to long for the glory that awaits us one day so that whatever takes place in our life, it's not bigger than what's to come. Father, we thank you. We thank you that there is a glory beyond all compare waiting for us. It is kept by you and you are keeping us for it. It seems so far off, so far away. But the first first fruits of that glory lives in us. Perhaps we haven't paid much attention to that first fruits, Lord. Today, would you change that? in our lives that we might ask Lord show me your glory we know we've already seen it in the sun but he's no longer here he's with you perhaps we just get a little distracted Father would you this day show us your glory may that change us may that make may that make us look at our world a little bit differently in heaven a little more eagerly we pray this in Jesus name Amen. This morning we are going to have a time of response and want to encourage you that if you need to make a decision, now is the time to do that. And so if you want to accept Christ as Savior and Lord, if you want to join our church, um, we want to have you come forward at this time. Um, So let's stand and sing together.
seated for just a moment. I just want to give you a few um, updates um, from our prayer list, just a few. Um, we've been praying for Les Dawson um, with his battle against um, colon cancer. Is that right, Brooke? Uh, colon and liver cancer. Uh, Jared and Brooke found out this past week that Brenda um, has now been diagnosed with cancer, colon cancer. Is that correct? So we need to continue to pray for Les and Brenda. Um, Melanie Lear, um, I, I'm not sure of that whole situation. Someone Can someone update us on Melanie? Okay. Supposed to see a transplant doctor Tuesday. Okay. Those are ones that we prayed about this morning. Um, any other updates that you want to pass along or any prayer requests you'd like to just share with the church before we have a time of prayer? All right. Well, if you just, just stay right where you are, <laughs> uh, we'll have a time of prayer. Father, um, we do lift up uh, Brenda and Les uh, in their fight. We pray, God, that you'd be honored and glorified in how they fight. Uh, Father, we pray for um, salvation, if there needs to be salvation in their lives. Um, Father, we also p- pray for Melanie Lear and, and ask God that um, she would have favor from you as she visits with the transplant doctor, and Lord, that she would heal her body. Father, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask Maria to come down front real quick. And Gracie can come too if she'd like to. So you don't have to stand alone. Uh, Maria is coming um, on profession of faith and baptized as uh, a believer. Uh, I was telling her when we were uh, having our time together counseling for baptism that only a born-again believer can be baptized and only a baptized born-again believer can join our church. And so Maria is coming forward today to present herself for candidacy uh, at our church. Um, One thing I just want to let you know, and we talked about it the other day, is that this is almost kind of like a wedding in a way. There's a covenant that, that's here. You're covenanting with the church that, that you're going to be a faithful member, that you're going to be faithful to the folks that are here, that you're going to use your gifts, you're going to support our church. Uh, if you have any problems with anyone here, you're going to take care of that problem and not let it fester. But then the church is also making that same commitment to you. And so that, it's important that we recognize that. Uh, we're here for her. She's here for us. And we, we bring her into our uh, fellowship willingly. Uh, can I hear a motion uh, that we grant her membership in our church? It's been moved by Roddy, seconded by James. All in favor say amen. 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 And that's everyone. Well, if you would stand, we're going to sing. We're almost home in the doxology. And then you come right on by and welcome her into the fellowship. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back, we're almost home. Almost home, we're almost home. So press on toward that blessed shore. Yeah. 